Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Keep 100 Radio is brought to you in collaboration with SkinGrip, the only patch company that I trust with my diabetes devices. I started using SkinGrip about two years ago, and before I found them, my Dexcom would last maybe four or five days before falling off, making it really hard to lift weights, hike with my dogs, or just wanting to do the everyday things that I love. But now I can confidently travel, work out, and navigate life with diabetes without having to worry about dealing with insurance more than I have to, begging for replacements, and resorting to finger parts. Plus, I'm in love with their mission to help us live fearlessly with diabetes. You can check out SkinGrip at SkinGrip.com and save 10% on your order by using the code LISSIE, L-I-S-S-I-E, at checkout. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Keep You 100 Radio. We are getting into all things getting bold with food, especially with type 1 diabetes. So I am sitting down with Ben Zeal today. Ben is a registered dietitian and certified strength and conditioning specialist who specialize in working with individuals with diabetes to achieve great blood sugar control while eating foods they enjoy while becoming their strongest selves. He holds a master's degree in nutrition from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Ben is a published fitness model and author who writes about exercise, nutrition, and diabetes, and has been featured in MyFitnessPal, Diabetes Strong, Diabetes Daily, and Prevention.com. And he has a personal, personally lived with diabetes for 20 years. Ben, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. Do you mind kicking off and introducing a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and get to hopefully help some people and talk about food because that's pretty much what life is all about, right? So yeah, so my name is Ben Zeal and you did a great job on the intro. So thank you. But pretty much, yeah, I've lived with diabetes myself for over 20 years, almost 23, which is kind of scary. I was diagnosed when I was seven back in the stone ages when CGMs didn't exist and like meters were the size of a gigantic brick. And yeah, I mean, I pretty much help people with eating stuff that they enjoy and getting strong. And I also enjoy eating things I enjoy and getting strong. And it's just pretty much been my, my life's purpose to be able to help at least a million people living with diabetes, which sounds gigantic, but I want to make sure that people get the support that they need and learn the things that they aren't taught at their endos office. Hey, you're on track. Your, your page is blowing up. I feel like every time I see you post, it's about a new, like how to eat pizza or like eating a donut or like, it's, it's awesome to see because like, I'm sure you can probably agree. Like when you're diagnosed, it's probably not things that you were told or things that you saw. Oh no. It was the complete <laughs> opposite. It was the typical, you know, eat 30 to 45 grams of carbs at this meal and 60 to 75 here and have 15 at snack. And God forbid you ever want pizza like that's done. And then, you know, it gets reinforced. They don't tell you how to actually dose for these things. So you decide I'm going to splurge and I'm going to have that ice cream. And now I'm 400 and I'm never going to eat ice cream again. And it just builds into this scary spiral after a while. Yeah. That huge ripple effect. Do you mind talking a little bit about your experience with your diagnosis? Because seven is really young. Yeah. And it was, I, I feel like I'm so old, but I'm not actually old. You know <laughs> what I mean? So, I mean, I was diagnosed at seven. We had just moved to a new state. And of course, a month later, which I didn't want to move when I was little, I got diagnosed and 
it was, it was a whirlwind. And I feel like part of it, you know, was just, there's a ton of information. I got fortunate that I wasn't one of those people that was in DKA when I was diagnosed because my family caught it in advance, which was great. So I was only, you know, 400, but at the same time, you know, I say that tongue in cheek, but it was, it was just a lot, you know, you're a little kid. You don't know what's going on. In my case, I'm in a new state. I don't know anybody. And now I have this brand new condition. I have to manage where I'm counting all the carbs. And I started taking my own injections a few months later. Cause I figured I probably should learn how to handle this and props to my parents for basically forcing me to start making my lunches and learning how to do all the carbs and all of that stuff. But it's, it was, it was a lot. And growing up, I think the biggest thing that drove me nuts was I was always an athlete. I always wanted to play sports. I ended up playing, you know, baseball up into college. I played volleyball through high school and it just felt like the information was never there. Like I would go ask my dietitian at the office after seeing the endo, Hey, I'm about to go play in a volleyball tournament. What should I do to make my blood sugars stay on point? And they would just be, you know, the generic eat a snack beforehand, make sure you're stuck. Like, and it was okay, but you know, it was a lot of highs, a lot of lows. And shockingly, my A1C wasn't great. And it just got frustrating because you get really sick of feeling like crap. I knew in baseball, every time that my blood sugar went too high, I was a pitcher and I wouldn't be able to hit the strike zone if my life depended on it. And it just got really frustrating after a while. So that was, you know, one part of it that really said, Hey, you know, there needs to be someone that can bridge this gap. And then on the food side of things, like I kind of alluded to with the the ice cream, it was always, these foods are no, no, these foods are okay. And I just, eventually, I, I don't think I ate a bagel at one point for 10 years. Cause I was just, you know, I was scared of them. It was like, I, I can't have that. That's bad. That's, that's awful. I wouldn't go so far to say as it was poison, but I'm like, can't have a bagel, not going to eat that, you know, pizza, not going to have that not going to have, you know, any of the fun stuff. And then I realized I'm like, why am I doing this? Right. You know? so, I, so hit me. Right. Yeah. And that, that's like one thing that I am frustrated about the just general diabetes care is that there's a lot of all or nothing mentality in that like, Oh, all carbs just make your blood sugar spike stay away from them or all exercise makes your blood sugar go low, uh, have a snack before. And it's very like overgeneralized advice. So like when you, like when your parents were obviously going through that with you, did they have like, were, did they have that mentality too of like, yes, foods, no foods. And like, did, did that have any influence or was it mostly you making those decisions? I think it was a combination because, you know, you're kind of a product of your environment and especially when you're that age, but your parents, at least I don't know my family, what your parents said goes right. So it would be, you get 75 grams of carbs. And I was so concrete that if I was at 72, I was out there looking for three extra grams of carbs. You know, it was, it got to that level because it, it just wasn't still, you have to hit this number or else, you know, and there's that, or else trailing off, you don't know what's going to happen. So it I was very, 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 I thought I was, you know, on point, but my numbers would still go wild and shockingly because there's protein and there's fat and there's things that nobody really talks about impacting your blood sugar. And I'm over here eating, you know, I need three grams of carbs. Well, if I eat three servings of turkey, you know, that's going to be three grams of carbs. So it just, you know, it got to that level and it, it can make it really hard and make it really easy to see how people with diabetes can get a really strange relationship with food very quickly because they're so focused on every single specific number. And while you mentioned like the overgeneralization, there's a lot of that because I mean, to a degree, some of it's legit, but the nuances are what really matters when it comes to the, the blood sugar control long-term. Right. And when we're getting that advice of just, you know, Hey, count your carbs, take your insulin. We're made to believe that it's something easier than what it really is. And then when 
our blood sugars are still all over the place. We're like, well, what am I doing wrong? And I feel like that kind of perpetuates in this like pass fail kind of mentality of like the in range, out of range blood sugars. So what was that first kind of initial, because like seven is young. So like, I'm sure you were living for, with it for a few years. Like you said, like you had probably like almost 10 years without eating a bagel. Like at what point were you like, Hey, there has to be more to this. And like, I'm starting to question what I was originally told. I, and that's a really good question. I don't think I've, I don't, I really don't know if I've ever actually thought about that. Um, I think it, part of it was when I got into high school and then into like really into college, but I would say high school is where it started. When I started doing things that weren't necessarily what the dietitian or the endo would say, and it ended up being correct. Like, you know, you kind of hear something and you're like, oh, this has to be right. And going to the endo every three months felt like it was, you're getting your report card, you know, right. you're showing up. Oh, I got a, a C plus. Well, this sucks. And the endo is going to chastise me and I feel bad about it. And then I started realizing, okay, well, when I do stuff that may be different than what they tell me, sometimes it works. And why am I not trying this? Why is no one talking about this? And then getting into college, I started finally figuring out, because you know, you're on your own for the first time, like, okay, food is now my decision. It's not what my parents make, or, you know, it's not what I decide to put in my lunch from what they buy. So now I'm noticing, okay, this food has this effect, this food has that effect. And then food is dictating how, you know, my workouts are going and how my training's going. And I want to know more about that because it hits blood sugars and workouts. And that was like what I really cared about. And I started just like the gears went in my head and I wanted to experiment more. And that's where it started to get fun. I like that you use the word fun. <laughs> it's interesting because <laughs> like at that point in college, you were already kind of like experimenting. And at my point in college, that's when I was first diagnosed. So I was like completely avoiding everything, like going into the, the little food court at school. I was like, salad, going to make my own salad, not going to eat anything. And then on the weekends, you know, I'd splurge on like Chinese food and like not even tell the difference. I was like, Oh, then take my units on my sliding scale. And, and that's it. But <laughs> actually I, I, yeah, now I'm like, mm. um, but I kind of want to get your, cause I, I don't have too many male guests on this episode, on this podcast. And I think it's just kind of coincidence and like who I connect with, but I'm curious because I don't think it's talked about enough. Do you think from your perspective, like, did this diagnose ever impact your relationship with food, especially growing up and like being into fitness and like in college? Did you ever feel that? Oh, definitely. And I feel like that's something that's not talked about nearly enough. And it's something that like within the practice now, we do try to talk about relationship with food and not associating a food as a good food or a bad food per se, because I mean, even mentioning, you know, earlier, I was like, Hey, I'd be looking for those three grams of carbs when I'm nine years old. That's already, you know, I'm nine. If somebody perpetuates that for the next 10, 15, 20 years, they're very, very, very distorted in how they're thinking about what different foods are going to, you know, do, or like how you were mentioning, I'm going to go and just have salad. Like I'm not going to have anything that could potentially raise my blood sugar. It goes back to that all or nothing mentality and the pass fail. You've got this or you don't, there's no gray area. Oh, you did. Okay. You know, you're 170. No, there's none of that. It's you did great or you failed. And the endo doesn't really, no offense, but a lot of endos, they don't really help with that. They kind of just say, you know, your A1C is either under seven or it's over seven. And if you're over seven, you're doing horrible. And if you're under seven, you're great. And there's people, and I mean, this, this is a slight tangent, but you know, there's people that will say, Hey, I'm 6.8 and I want to improve because I'm still going up and down at certain times, but then they just kind of get thrown, you know, to the side because they're doing great. 
And then on the flip side, someone could be, you know, 7.1 because they have one problem area and they're told they're doing horribly. And it's that's that right there just, you know, continues to perpetuate with the food and with the, oh my God, this or that. But if we go back to the food and from like the male side of things, and I know a decent amount of, of men with type one, I feel like it, it really doesn't matter, you know, male, female, wherever you're from, it's going to get you at some point because food's such a, you know, big part of culture. And you're thinking constantly, sure, you're thinking in numbers, but you're also thinking in yes or no. And people, I really think people, if they start looking at food as, hey, this is something that I can have, if I have the right strategy around it, then that's going to change everything. The issue is a lot of people don't ever come to that conclusion. And if they do, sometimes it's years. I mean, for me, it was, I was probably 21 or 22 when I started, probably 21, I started finally figuring that out. And I was diagnosed at seven. That's 14 years of what incarnation am I doing? Right. And the reason why I asked that question is because I feel like it's, I don't know, maybe it it's not so much like a, a male female thing, but I think it's just like a little bit, maybe, and maybe this is a stigma, but harder for males to talk about in the sense of like opening up about those things, where it's like, females, it's kind of like a part of our like body image and culture. And like, there's a lot more to it, but that's the reason why I asked that. And I'm sure when you start talking more about like fitness industry, okay, that's when we get into tracking macronutrients and hitting certain weights. And like, there's kind of a lot more involved in that cycle as well, which can also lead into like the past fail mentality. So like, just curious for you when you started getting into, and I'm not sure if you track macros or anything, but when you started getting more into the fitness industry, how did you stop that all or nothing from kind of like leading that journey? Like the, the, this food is good and this food is not good type of thing. Yeah. Or like having to hit your macros exactly. And like, you know, that kind of thing. That is a great question. And so I actually started tracking macros and thinking about this 2011. But the reason I started was not because I actually want to track macros. This is going to sound crazy. It was literally because I knew if I put my food into the app, it would do the math for me. So I didn't have to add up my carbs myself. It's fair. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the only yeah. reason why I started. I'm like, I don't want to add all this stuff up. This is too much work. I'm just going to plug it in this app and I'll let it do math for me. And I mean, here I am. I don't know how many years later. I still do it. And I think part of the reason doing it was helpful for me, at least, was yes, you know, the math is done. So I don't have to actually add the carbs and it takes what 30, 60 seconds ish to get your stuff plugged in. But the other thing that was nice is to your point that, that, you know, macro it, depending how, you know, specific you want to get, you can be very, very, very flexible. If you're saying, Hey, I have, I don't know, let's just make up a number 2,300 calories. And I have, I don't know, 140 grams of protein. You can be pretty flexible how you get there with, you know, 200 carbs or whatever else. It doesn't really matter how you get there. You get to decide. So if you decide, hey, I want to have, I don't know, nachos, then you can have nachos. If you want a donut, you can have a donut. And obviously, you know, those choices are going to influence what else you're doing the rest of the day. And you want to ideally stick to some more positive foods throughout the majority of the day. But if you want that occasional thing, there's no problem with it. And I think that started to open my eyes to I can fit these other foods in. But now I just have to figure out how they're going to impact my blood sugar and then how I can, you know, take advantage of that food from a workout perspective. But to your point with, you know, fitness and having specific body composition and all of that, it, it can be a lot. And I feel like in the fitness community, there's a lot of people with like the relationship with food that gets distorted because they're so specific on, I have to hit this exact number of carbs. And if I don't, the world's going to spontaneously combust pulling out of that, you know, and in tandem with the blood sugars, I feel like just makes it that much more amplified. But if you can pull out of both, 
and just look at it like, hey, this is a number. This is 62. It doesn't mean it's 62 grams of carbs and that's bad. It's just, you know, 62. Cool. Objective data done. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. And I feel like there's like kind of two specific, like kind of paths that like I, I have seen through my clients of like people are either super strict with tracking, whether it's for fitness or whether it's for their blood sugars or they like don't at all. So like I kind of fell into hear the beep. Um, I kind of fell into like, I didn't track anything for a while, but now I do because I honestly underate for the longest time. And part of that was because I didn't want to deal with the insulin management. I didn't want to deal with the blood sugars. So now it's almost like an accountability thing of like, Hey, are you fueling yourself enough? But then on the other end of the spectrum, we see kind of what we were mentioning before, like it can get really almost like too much where we need to take a break from it and say, okay, like how do we actually feel and how is our blood sugars kind of like without the tracking? So, um, kind of going back to like your journey. So do you think that the the diagnosis of type one influenced your path to become a dietitian? Like where did that all start? Oh, that for sure happened. And I mean, that, that I think was just, it was a function of number one, going to all those dietitian visits that I felt like I was obligated to go to after the endo. And for me, when I was a kid growing up, the endo that I went to was 90 miles away. So it was a full day event. So if I was going, I'm like, cool, I've sat in the car. I've sat in the waiting room. I've sat at the endo. Now I have to go sit at the dietitian and they wouldn't tell me much. And I finally had one towards the end. And I was like, okay, this one's cool. And so I was like, you know, there's no one telling me the stuff I need to know. No one's out there doing that. And then once I went to college and started experimenting with the food and realizing, hey, you know, the food's going to influence your performance. The food's going to influence your blood sugars. Why not, you know, deal with both? I love training. So I want to optimize my performance for that. But I also want to make sure that I'm feeling good so I can, you know, do the things I want to do. And then I'm realizing if nobody's doing this, the world needs this. And so why not, you know, go become a a dietitian? Although I actually started research first. I thought I was going to be, you know, the next big diabetes researcher. And I started a PhD. I did everything but my dissertation and I walked away from it. So I thought about it and I was like, I could do all this research for 40 plus years and it would be great and it'll help a lot of people, but it's going to take, you know, years and decades to get this into practice versus if I can go right now to people directly and say, Hey, this is what's important that will go to them right now. And so I switched my path entirely and that was a heck of a transition, but yeah, that's kind of how I ended up where I'm at now. And the strength coach thing was, you know, I just love doing it. And I told myself when I was a kid, I was going to do it. So I, I did it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like you could do the research and, you know, continue that path, but you're not really now you're client facing where you actually get to see that change implemented and get to get to coach people through it, which you've done successfully for how long now? Oh God, I, over, I think three years now, which is wild. But I mean, it's yeah, to your point, like if, if you're a researcher, you'll get a ton of people and it's amazing what you can do with it. And it's powerful. But I just I want to deal with people on the ground. And also then you get a better sense of, you know, what questions need to be asked for the research to help better inform it. And I just, you know, to anyone who's listening, who might be contemplating a PhD when you're 22 years old, probably do something first and then, you know, go do a PhD. I, yeah, I'm a huge advocate for, Hey, don't make these decisions so young. Cause I went to, I went to school for engineering. I am not engineering right now. That was supposed to be (laughs) my life. That was the preordained Ben life. And I said, no, no. Yeah. That's good call. And I'm like, I realized when it was already too late, I'm like junior year of college, 
uh, I want to go actually into biobehavioral health. I made a switch for one week and then got freaked out because I'm like, I'll have to be in school for another two years and I'm paying out of state tuition right now. And I don't have the privilege of like mom and dad paying for my tuition. So I'm like, this is going to suck. Yeah. Tangent. <laughs> Which engineering though, while I, while we're on this topic? Energy. So like renewables. Oh my God. <laughs> I took fluid dynamics three times. I wrong. don't envy you at all. Yeah. Holy smokes. That was supposed to be my life. Like everyone was like my, you know, my whole family was engineers and they're like, you're going to be an engineer. And I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> no. so we're going to go to the school that doesn't have engineering. So it can't be an option. Good call. Oh, I, I applied to Chapel Hill. Didn't get in, but. <laughs> well, I only went there for grad school. For undergrad, I was like, this school doesn't have engineering. So I can't do engineering. So sorry. But, you know, if I'll do it, I'll do it later. Yeah, but, if if I feel called, there's always time. <laughs> exactly. I don't think that's happening. People go to med school and they're like 40 and everyone's like, Ben, you should go to med school. I'm like, no, unless you want to pay for it. No, thanks. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I got way too many loans already, but yeah, I yeah. digress. <laughs> so, okay, going back to the, because um, you mentioned like, okay, you're in college, you're kind of like going through this experiment, uh, experimenting phase. And I feel like, yeah, the word that you used was like, hey, this is starting to be fun, which I, I love that. I'm all about it. But like, how did you get through that? I feel like sometimes it gets hard with experimenting or troubleshooting because when things don't work, it can feel really like, ah, oh, like, why did I try? Now I'm stuck in this spiral again. And, you know, we all have gone, kind of gone through it. How did you get over that mindset of like when things didn't work to keep kind of pushing through and figuring it out? I think part of it was maybe I was just young, naive and curious. And I just wanted to be like, oh, this will be fun. Let's eat this crazy thing and see what happens. But I think also part of it was just, and this will sound weird, like, you know, you're in class all the time and you're, you know, you have to learn these things and regurgitate them on tests and hopefully apply them and learn them. But this was kind of in a strange way, like on my own, I was just enjoying it. I was like, hey, I'm going to see what happens when I do this. I'm going to learn something from it. And so instead of becoming, you know, hey, I failed this, it was, hey, what new intel did I acquire about X, Y, and Z? And then what did these things happen to have in common with, you know, other foods like it? So like I noticed, for example, because I started messing, you know, you, you hear about all the people who are super low carb and then the super high carb and everything in between. So, you know, I started playing with little stuff here and there. And I'd be like, this is interesting. Like a few hours later on super low carb, I'm still rising, but I'm not eating any carbs. So why is that happening? So I started digging into, you know, gluconeogenesis and stuff like that. I'm like, this is fascinating stuff. And I don't know, maybe I'm just a nerd and that's just my thing, but it became, you know, this is cool. And what am I going to be able to do to apply this stuff? And I, I, I won't go down the PhD rabbit hole because that was, you know, I was studying type one in the PhD. It was all diabetes and all macronutrients and all everything like that. And obviously, you know, shaped where I'm at now, but it was, you know, I was constantly thinking about this stuff and it just made it more fun. I, th I think the big thing is the mentality of you're not ever losing, you're learning or you're winning. So yeah, that's a great mentality too. So is that kind of like when you're taking your clients through that, because I think that's a hard mentality to maintain. And like, obviously that's like your journey is a lot different than other people's and like kind of that mindset. So like when you're working with clients, how do you kind of encourage them to keep on that mentality or kind of keep that like light focus and Hey, like you're learning or you're winning. Like what, what's your process that you go through? Well, I feel like the first thing is just getting people, you know, to say, Hey, I'm willing to try this because a lot of times people will come and I'm sure, you know, you, you deal with it as well, where 
they're afraid of pasta or they're afraid of, I don't know, fill in the blank dessert or, you know, Thanksgiving dinner freaks them out because there's so many foods and they don't know where it comes from. And so by saying, you know, Hey, you've got someone in your back pocket to support you that I think gives that confidence. So they're saying, you know, Hey, I'm willing to try it at least once. And then, you know, you game plan it ahead of time. So they have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do going in. And then they do it. And then I say, you know, Hey, when it's done, doesn't matter if, you know, you finish and you're one Oh two and you finish and you're, you know, three seventy four. I want to know what happens so we can go through and debrief and say, okay, based on this, you won amazing. You know, here's how we can apply it. Or you, you know, you, you learn something. Here's what we know, what we can avoid next time or what we can do differently next time. So it's, it's really, it's, I, I know it sounds so cliche and I'm like a lot of us, the mindset, but it really is. It is. And I like, I feel like I've gotten to the point too. Like, I mean, I'm only eight years in, um, in comparison to you over 20 years, but like, I've gotten to that point where I'm like, I will willingly try to eat sushi, eat pad thai, eat pizza over and over again until I kind of learn what my body needs until I figure it out. Because like, I don't want to sacrifice those foods that I love, but like, I feel like now there's kind of this issue online where people are selling strategies or like a one size fits all kind of thing. And maybe that's just something I personally have an issue with that, with that because everyone's so different, but like, how do you combat that in like teaching your clients in like that individualized approach? I, that's a great question too, because I feel like some people, some people respond really, really well to a lot of rigidity and a lot of rules. So to your example, the one size fits all, I would I, my first, you know, instincts would be the classification of very low carb and basically very, very, very exclusively, pretty much only high carb. And I never got quite that far up the carb spectrum. I think I got to like 450 a day and on the low carb, you know, I, I did the whole like 20 grams of carbs per day thing. So I, I wanted to do it, especially while I was in school, because it was interesting, but also, you know, I wanted to know what it's like and what it feels like and how you can succeed on any sort of way of eating. And I think if you, if somebody really wants, you know, rigidity, they want very strict rules and they know they can stick to it. I always tell people, if they come to me and say, Hey, I want to do keto. I ask them why, why do you want to do it? Why is it important to you to do that? Well, I want, you know, the rigidity. Well, do you think you could do this four years from now? No. Okay. Then we probably should find something else for you. But if they're like, yes, I'm dead set. This is my thing. I love it. I love how I feel. I'm totally game for it. I think it's totally up to the person If they're like, Hey, I want to try it. And I think it'll be great. Amazing. As long as you know, you're not malnourished, which can be a problem on certain, you know, extreme diets. And then second, the blood sugars are on point. And third, you're feeling good. If you want to be keto, go for it. As long as you can, you know, check those boxes and make sure everything else is on point. I, I just really want to, when people come to me and say, I want to do blank, I ask them why, because otherwise if they don't have a good reason, I'm like, why are you setting yourself up potentially to fail in the long term and in the short term? Right. And at some point you're going to have to figure out how to make it work or like how to make a sustainable diet work. So it's like, why not let it be when you're working with somebody who understands how these things work and can troubleshoot with you. I, I was telling you before we hit the record button, but I just put up a post the other day that was like, Hey, like basically saying, Hey, pushing your diet, like you can have your preferences, but pushing a diet in a specific community, like, especially like the diabetes community just is not cool. Like I, I, I always advocate for high carb and that's, just and like relative high carb, like I eat like 200 a day and that to me works. And I advocate for that because, or I highlight it on my page because like, I didn't have those people telling me it was possible 
when I was 19, figuring out how to live this diagnosis. And after living, you know, I was a gymnast for 10 years, eating nothing but carbs. So that was a part of like my identity that was stripped away of like, Ooh, how do I have this relationship with food when everybody, including my endo social media, like blogs are all telling me eat low carb and like eliminate variability as much as possible. So my gut's my preference. And I'll highlight that in the sense of like, Hey, it's possible, but I hate when people are like pushy on their diets of um, like, you know, all the books and everything. And I actually got this one comment that was like, why are you encouraging people to eat carbs? Like the proof is in the pudding of like Dr. Bernstein's. And I'm like, and it was very like fear oriented of like, oh, you want to go, you know, like all the things, like you want to go blind in 10 years. I'm like, dude, this is not okay for anyone. So like, do you ever have people like approaching to you like enough? And I feel like there's a difference when you join a coaching program of like, I hope I'm in hope that everyone who joins is like in an empowered mindset, but like, how do you approach that fear around food and a fear around like, you know, just if I choose a diet or like I try to incorporate the things that I love and it doesn't work and it just like perpetuates that fear. I see. Good question. Good question. Well, it's a big one because a lot of people, to your point, they are just inherently scared of certain things, or it's been told you're going to go blind. You're going to lose feeling in your feet. Like you won't be able to have your kidneys work and you'll be on dial. Like the, the fear mongering doesn't help at all. It, it, to me, that's almost akin to when people, you tell them you have diabetes and they tell you that like their grandma's leg got chopped off. Like, thank you for that PSA that does nothing to contribute to my life, but thank mm-hmm. you. Um, but irrespective, like they have, you know, this built in fear and the, the biggest thing. And a lot of it is I, I actually did during my dietitian training, I did a chunk of my rotations. We got to pick one. And I was torn. I could have done like a sports one and done, you know, NFL combine athletes worked with them. It would have been great, but I had the other option to work with at an eating disorder clinic. And I actually chose the eating disorder clinic because I figured, you know, Hey, it's prevalent in sports, which I know I'm sure you've seen given you like what you mentioned with the the gymnast side of things, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I also know it's very prevalent with the diabetes side of things. And people will come so scared with, I can't have this thing. These people on the internet are saying all this stuff. It's so bad. Oh my goodness. And sometimes it's as little as, you know, okay, what little tiny thing is not going to freak you out completely. And let's start there. Because if they're like, Hey, I want to go have six rolls of sushi. That's probably not a good starting point, but you know, a roll of sushi is a lot more reasonable of a starting point. And then, you know, you have well, that was a loud honk out there, you know, like, um, like you have your, you know, your game plan, you go in, you execute, and then you come back and say, okay, what happened? How did it go? How do I improve it? And then with that and having, you know, someone in their corner cheering them on, I know you guys are doing the same stuff. Like that seems to help a lot with the morale versus, you know, people going online and having all of this sensationalistic, you can never have carbs again. It's the worst thing in the world. All the evidence is there. Well, I've had people I've worked with who have had A1Cs under six. I have one person right now who's eating like 350 carbs a day and his A1C is 5.7. Somebody else I have eating 30 carbs a day, their A1C is 5.7. Like it really doesn't matter. What matters is how you choose to control it, how you choose to use your carbs and what works best for your body. So yeah. I, that's what I usually tell people that come at me. You can't have, I actually, I think I actually just filmed a video today about that exact topic, but like, I'm just like, it doesn't have to be you know, any one particular way of doing it, there's multiple ways to do it. It's not like, you know, if, if, you know, if I'm going to go drive to, to New York from Tampa, you know, I'm not just going to take the one road. There's like 15 different ways. I'm, you know, you all get to the same destination. Just there's different routes. 
I like that metaphor. That's awesome. <laughs> I just made that up. So <laughs> <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I like that a lot because also like when you think about it, or at least maybe this is just my perspective, but I'm like, is the 5.0 A1C, which like, you know, <laughs> relative here, but is that even worth it if you're not enjoying journey or enjoying the process? To me, like a big part of food isn't just like, yes, it's enjoying the food, but it's enjoying social experiences, going on dates with my boyfriend, traveling, like spending time with my family. Like, why would I want to give that up? Well, and the quality of life, like you said, that's that's the biggest thing, because I, I want to encourage people like you can have the stuff you enjoy and still have great blood sugars. And, you know, if your A1C is 4.8, but you're a robot and you're a slave to your CGM and all you're doing is saying, Hey, look, my high score today, I only got up to 102 and I stay between 82 and 102. Cool. That's amazing. But like, what else do you do? Like that becomes mm-hmm. your, your hobby or your, you know, per second profession that you're not getting paid to do. And right. that's awesome. But then you're, like you said, you know, you're not able to go out. You're not able to eat foods at restaurants. You're not, unless you do, you know, it's going to be the most bland stuff ever because you're limiting so much. So there's sure there's a handful of people that I feel like really, really thrive in super restricted environments. But most of the time people want the handcuffs off. People want to say, I'm going to go do the things that I want to do and live my life. But if they have the strategies to know how they can still thrive and live their life, that's, I think the sweet spot. Yeah. It's all about that balance. And I I'm really glad that there are people like you kind of like encouraging that message in a place where there is so much noise, especially on the internet now, um, yes. But let's just say like somebody's listening, they're either newly diagnosed or they're just kind of getting into that food journey where they're like, okay, there's more to this than I think I was originally told or that, you know, I, I believe before, how would you encourage them to like dive in and start getting, start getting bold with food and trying new things? Like maybe like two or three pieces of advice that you would give them. I'd say the first thing is to really erase any, you know, preconceived notion or any bias towards a food being good or bad before you even go into a place where there's food, whether it's a restaurant, your kitchen or the grocery store, there is no food that is good. There's no food that is bad. Some foods have more carbs. Some foods have more protein. You know, some foods have less carbs. That doesn't mean anything is good or bad. Like if you put a number arbitrarily and you said, you know, like I mentioned before, like 62, if I just said 62, you're like, I don't know what that means. If I say $62, I'm giving you that you're probably happy. But you know, if it's 62 carbs, it shouldn't be a freak out. And the same thing with the blood sugars, but you know, the same parallel, but I'd say the first thing is eliminating the, the good and bad. There's nothing good or bad. The second thing would be, you know, if you're nervous about a particular food, you know, you know, it's similar to how some people, you know, just jump right into a pool and they find out it's freezing and it's super uncomfortable. Just, you know, dip your toe in, try something small first, you know, maybe you, you are out having dessert with your fam and, you know, have a couple bites, but don't have the whole thing, you know, try something little and work your way up. It's, you know, if you're starting a training program, you're not going to start out squatting 350 pounds. You're going to start out squatting your body weight. It's the same thing. You know, you're not going to start out eating an entire chocolate cake. Not that I can you know, recommend that anyway, but if you wanted to, it's possible, right? But start out with, you know, a piece, a tiny little sliver, a bite, you know, and work your way up. I think that those two things, taking that approach and that mindset with it. Of course, the third thing would be having the strategy in there, you know, knowing what you're going to do based on the food, based on what is in it, you know, paying attention to fat and protein, like that whole thing, you get all three of those together and you're pretty much unstoppable as long as you're able and willing to put in the reps to be able to master it. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think like, I mean, in the beginning of my journey, I think about it and I'm like, before I was diagnosed, I never thought about how many carbs I was eating. I never thought about, you know, uh, how much insulin my body was producing. Cause that's a whole nother thing. Like when we start integrating more carbs, we kind of have this preconceived notion too, that, okay, more carbs equals more insulin and more insulin means more variability. So then we start kind of being fearful of that too. It's like, what do you, what is your take on, on the whole, like more insulin? Uh, well, and then we get the more insulin equals people thinking it will make them gain more weight. And then that yeah, becomes another slippery slope, which if you're listening, not true, it's not true at all. Um, your body has ways of, you know, adding body weight without insulin. So don't blame the insulin anyways. Um, so the real thing is, you know, the more insulin, more variability, you could argue that that's true, but at the same time, it doesn't make it a good thing or a bad thing. Again, it really just makes it a, something you have to be aware of. If you're about to go run a 5k or you're about to go work out, you know, if you're about to be super active, you now know, Hey, I ate 62 grams of carbs. I don't know why 62 keeps being the number. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe the day. Astrology thing. I don't know, but you know, if you're eating 62 grams of carbs and you just took that insulin, just know that you might have a little more insulin on board, you know, and it might influence what you do, but it's really just that awareness. It's not, oh my goodness, it's a bad thing to have more insulin. It's really not. If you're adhering, you know, to what you need to do nutritionally and your numbers are on point, whether you take 20 units a day or 60 units a day, it really doesn't matter. As long as you know, if you're telling me you're active, you're hitting your nutrition goals, you're doing what you need to be doing, your numbers are happy. Insulin's just there to help you survive. Right. And that's what it is. It's our, it's our survival tool. So like right. <laughs> live your life with it. Right. There's nothing to be afraid of with insulin. Just be thankful it's there. Yeah. A hundred percent. Awesome. So like when we, like, let's talk a little bit more about what you do, what you walk your th- clients through, because obviously you hit on the nutrition. You also hit on exercise. You have, I know you have a few different programs. So like, let's talk about kind of your coaching practice, um, who you work with, what you do, all the good stuff. Yeah. So there's myself and there's a trio of lovely ladies who are also dietitians. We all have exercise backgrounds, which is great because kind of like what we alluded to earlier, it's, it's an angle that needs to happen. And of course we all have diabetes. So our big thing is we're working with people, you know, who want to get their blood sugars to be on point, but really enjoy the food. If you couldn't tell from this conversation, it's kind of a big deal, but also, you know, become stronger. If you want to lose weight, then that's a thing too. Like what if a lot of people come to us, Hey, I want my numbers better. I want to lose weight, or I want to, you know, improve my athletic performance. Anything in that realm is stuff that we can, you know, we can take care of. We get athletes all the time. We get people who, you know, just want to get a little bit healthier, but the big thing is blood sugars and then body composition are what we tend to focus on. We did recently just start taking some of the major health insurance carriers, which is very exciting. Um, so that can help, you know, with the accessibility and help, you know, get patients in and help, you know, people who would be able to say, you know, otherwise, Hey, I might not be able to reach this financially here. We have another way to be able to help. So that's, I think, absolutely huge. Um, and yeah, for those insurances, just for fun, Cigna, Aetna, United, and Blue Cross, I believe are the big four. So a lot of, lot of effort to get that to happen, but I'm thankful that it's here. So yeah, we're just, we're here to help make the diabetes community better, help people on the blood sugar journey. And obviously, you know, if you want to change your body composition, improve it, we're obviously here for that as well. Awesome. Do you, um, just in, in terms of like a little bit more about your programs, do you work people on -on one-on-one capacity? Do you do group? Like just in case people are wondering if it's the best fit for them. 
That is a great question. We tend to do mostly one-on-one. Um, I, I feel like groups are great. We've run groups before and sometimes, you know, who knows what the future will hold. Maybe there will be another group in the not so distant future, but we tend to do mostly one-on-one. And then there is sometimes there was previously a course that was out there as well. If someone wanted to go through self-paced and is very self-motivated, that does exist. Um, but right now it's pretty much exclusively one-on-one just because we want to make sure similar to what we were talking about before, like we get the time with the, you know, we get the time with the patients and the patients get the time with the practitioners so they can really make a major impact and move the needle forward. Yeah, that's huge, especially in our space where we're getting 20 minutes every three months with an endocrinologist or a dietitian and you're taking, you know, you have that actual conversation and hold that container for people. So that's absolutely awesome. 20 minutes. That's that's a lot of time. There have been times I'd go in, I'd get like six and a half. One time I did a stopwatch. That's Are you serious? I'm not, I was, I think 17 or 18. I went in, I literally took out my phone, which was a flip phone at the time. And then, you know, put on the stopwatch and it was six minutes and like 30 something seconds. I'm like, that's wild. Um, so, how much can you actually talk about in that time? Nothing and not nothing ever happened. So that was part of the reason. But so our big thing is really making sure we get the time with the patients. You know, we get to really get to know them as people. So we know exactly what they want to work on, but also, you know, make sure that they're getting the time that they deserve because so many people are just rushing through. I'd rather make sure that you get amazing, amazing care. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we need a partner in this diagnosis, not just another, you know, consultation. Oh, <laughs> no, people think that they're just numbers. It's like you go to a big university. It's like, Oh, I'm just number 21,604. It's like patients feel the same way. So it's like, I want to completely break that and say, Hey, you know, you've got your dietitian here for 30, 60, whatever time it is, you know, that is your time. And they are going to mm-hmm. dig every single thing out to help you as much as humanly possible. Squeeze out every second. I love it. Breaking the mold. How it should be. <laughs> we're here for disrupt the system, but for yes. the best. <laughs> how can people find you? Uh, how can they find out more about your program, whether it's a good fit, connect with you? The best places are the website, which is yourdiabetesinsider.com. And then my Instagram, which is man of zeal. So M-A-N-O-F-T-Z-E-E-L. I believe it's the same on TikTok. And I'm trying to think that's pretty much, those are the spots. Awesome. I will put all of your information in the show notes so everybody can find you. And thanks so much for coming on. I feel like this is a big conversation and things that just, you know, we need to hear at some point in this journey. Like I said, I'm grateful I was here and I'm just hoping that I help at least, you know, one person from the conversation here. And I'm hoping that we can have more conversations in the future because it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Yeah.